Hello, this is Contractor Coffee Club Podcast, presented by EGIA, and I'm your host, Mark Madison. This podcast is hosted on egia.org slash podcast, where you can also find links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listener Q&A, and the link to take the latest EGIA snapshot survey. In today's episode, we're interviewing Brigham Dixon. Good morning, Brigham. Good morning. How's it going, Mark? Awesome. How are you? It's a beautiful day, and it's a great start to the day talking with you. Well, we're so glad to have you on the air. So let's, for those of, and I can't believe anybody doesn't know who you are, but just in case they don't, how did you get started in this business as a speaker? Well, it was an accident. I, I never wanted to be a speaker. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, the first thing I think of is the uh, Saturday Night Live uh, skit where, you know, you're, you're living in the van. River. I, I never wanted that. Did you? Well, you know, when I was five years old, I got sent home from kindergarten for singing the Jetser and Gear from West Side Story. And it wasn't my version of the song that was uh, that, that offended everyone. It was my timing. The rest of the class was singing the national anthem at the time. So I got sent home with a note saying, Mark has a lot of energy. We just need to find a way to channel it in a more constructive way. <laughs> we so <laughs> five years old, man, you know. That's awesome. So you were in a van uh, down by the river, and then what happened? <laughs> you know, it wasn't exactly like that. Um, you know, Mark, if, if you wanted, I could tell you the story before the story, something uh, nobody's ever heard. I mean, we can pretend that everybody knows me, and, but there's one thing that they haven't heard. How does that sound? I love a story before a story. Talk to me. Okay. Well, I'm one of those guys from Utah, right? And sometimes guys from Utah, even outside of Utah, they have a tendency to go and do these things called missions. And I went to Brazil. Before I went to Brazil, I was terrible in high school. Like, I, my grades were atrocious. And I was just like you, very, very similar description. In fact, my uh, aunt once said she would be surprised if I lived past the age of 16. Um, and, I, and I'm grateful to surprise her every day. Wow. I'm alive. Yes. So uh, high school was terrible. My grades were terrible. Um, and I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. But um, lucky for me, I, I was able to um, go to Brazil for two years and, and, and serve a mission. And you'd be surprised how much a 19-year-old kid can learn um, in a foreign country, not just a foreign language, but um, uh, serving in that country, you know, doing some good. I, it wasn't a paid service. And I learned a lot, but I got the most out of it. What, what does that mean? Well, as I was serving others and helping others, I was building my confidence to learn another language. And gosh darn it, if I could learn a little, which I could do anything. I was learning to teach people because that's what I did every day. Every day, I developed my ability to speak, to teach, to to interact with strangers, to um, uh, live in a humble setting. You know, I I, uh, uh, I can remember the first home that I went to. Uh, there was probably a uh, uh, two inches of, of dirt on the floor, and I had to clean it out with um, a broom. And uh, had to make sure the scorpions were out of my shoes each each day. I woke up in the morning, had to make sure that uh, uh, my clothes were clean. I washed my clothes in a bucket. It was just, it was it was a very humbling experience and a great way to start speaking career. You know, not and exactly the Ritz Carlton. No, not not at all, not at all. It was the first time I started really missing my mother. I hope she doesn't hear this, but that's the truth. Um, so I think that's where I learned to enjoy speaking and enjoy teaching. In fact, when I came home, the thing that I was saddest about was, um, the opportunity lost to not do that anymore. I wanted to do that. I wanted to figure out a way to do that, to teach something that I'm, that I'm passionate about, that I, that, um, you know, do some good, not just clock in and clock out of a, a job, but actually love what I do. So I, I think that's what got me into speaking and teaching. So was it Portuguese or Spanish that you learned? Portuguese. Wow. I know no Portuguese. So tell us some Portuguese yeah. real quick. Okay. Oh, of course. What do you yeah, want me to I speak? Do. 
<laughs> that's enough. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> so then from there, I mean, that's a big jump from teaching English to Portuguese-speaking people in Brazil. Uh, then what happened? Well, I uh, started selling pay-per-click advertising, and I thought I was going to be a marketing markety muck, and I did that for a few years, and I wasn't a very good marketer. Uh, I'm the best. I I I sold my. I was I was able to sell really well. You know, sell my services, and people signed up a lot. But uh, I didn't. I, I just didn't have an act for it. One of my clients, when I started doing SEO and pay-per-click, his name is Troy Neerings, Neerings Plumbing and Heating. Um, he, he brought me into his office and he said, you know, uh, Brigham, you're on lane leads. This is back in 2008 when, you know, people were still on the fence about whether or not these leads were good, whether they uh, were going to turn into sales or not. And so he said, you know, I, I think we need to let you go because the online leads aren't working. Well, back then I had three clients in total and uh, four kids. I had mouths to feed. There's no way I was going to let this client go. So I said, Troy, let me train them. I have into a uh, a CD by Jeff Gittimer, fantastic sales trainer. And one of the things he teaches is, is that you need to give first and give often. And did I say give first? Yes, give first. And so uh, as I was listening to Troy, let me go. That was the thing that came to mind is I got to give him something. And so what I did is I offered to train his CSRs for free. Now, when I first started in the heating and cooling industry, I, I happened to answer phones while I did marketing. Um, in fact, I did it for uh, Royal Hockley in uh, Chico, California, and I also did it for Kevin Cumberford uh, uh, in uh, Concord, California. So I knew how to answer the phones because um, I did that while I was marketing when I first started in, in the marketing industry. So trained Troy's team. And his call conversions went up 20%. Mm. And then I got a call from Tom Robichaud. Now, Tom, he's the owner of uh, Precision Plumbing and Heating in, in uh, Boulder, Colorado. I don't know if you've ever been to Boulder, but it's an interesting place. But uh, I go to Boulder, and the first thing Tom says to me, he says, you know, I want you to train my CSRs. And I said, that sounds – in order to train your CSRs, I need to do your – your SEO and your pay-per-click and, and uh, get the online advertising going. He says, you know, I've got that covered, but I will pay you to train my CSRs. And then, of course, then the <laughs> light bulb came up. Right. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. And so then Tom and Troy uh, referred me to uh, Mike Aguilero in uh, at Gold Medal in New Jersey. And um, from Mike, um, there's several clients that signed up, and, and the rest is history. I, I hired all my friends, and you know, that I don't have a lot of friends and, and uh, we're, we're moving, we're cruising. We, we have a, a certification program for CSRs now, and we've got over 600 CSRs in our certification program as we speak. So uh, from so there, you found a need I and filled it. Books and, yeah. Found a need and filled it. Hey, isn't that just the way it works? But out of necessity too, because you had to feed your family. Yes. <laughs> it was a good cause. It's amazing it's what desperation family. does for creativity. Yeah. But, Here's the thing, as hard as it was for me back then, um, I really didn't start seeing progress or success until I put into practice what I was learning. And what I was learning from, you know, guys like Jeff and um, so on and so forth was that, you know, you, you've got to give first. You've got to right. give. And, and, and the same with uh, Zig Ziglar says it well as well. You know, in order to get what you want, you've got to help enough people get what they want. And I need to find something that people wanted and give it to them and give it to enough people in order for me to be successful. Yeah, Zig had a way of delivering messages like a like a secular pre. It really is true. You know, he, yeah. he, the, those yeah. little maxims. Yeah. So yeah, so tell us right, about yeah. your value proposition and why should contractors hire you and your team? What is it that you bring to the table? Well, the call's going to come in. And that's wonderful. You've likely figured out a way to make the phone ring. Most, most contractors that have been around for a while have figured it out. And there's a lot of ways to make the phone ring. But once that phone is rung, the advertising, all that money you spent in advertising, it's done its job. That's it. The rest is up to you. And in, and in a way, it's a moment of truth for the CSR. But the type of customer that comes in over the phone is one that generally wants a ballpark price. They want to speed up the process. 
They want to know which charge to come out. They want to talk to a technician. Uh, and and in their mind, there's no difference between you and then the next guy aside from your price or how soon you can come out. And so that's what they're trying to get to. They're trying to speed up the process. You know, I think Google's made it that way for the rest of us. And so you've got to train those CSRs to handle those types of calls so that by the time you're done, it doesn't matter what they want in the beginning. But by the time they're done, they want to book with you and not just book with you and everybody else, but book with only you. And so what we do is we take them to a certification program where we have them listen to their own phone calls as well as other people's calls. In fact, we have a library of the, um, uh, some of the best recorded calls you'll ever hear uh, from the best CSRs in the nation. And when those CSRs listen to those great calls and they compare them to their own, they realize that uh, there's some work for them to do. And when you consider the math of it all, okay, great. I increased my call conversion by you know, 10%, 20%. What does that look like? Well, if you take your average ticket, let's say 100 bucks for the sake of simple math, and you take 20 phone calls a day, and if the CSR is on the phone, they're going to say, oh, my gosh, uh, I take more than 20 phone calls a day. You know what? Again, don't worry about how many calls you take. Let's just say it's 20 for the sake of simple math. And over 250 days, if we're able to bring in one more phone call a day, just one more book call a day, you're looking at an extra 125000 a year. Now, go through this process. We guarantee, or your money back, we guarantee that you'll book at least 85% of your phone calls. There aren't many training companies that offer a money-back guarantee. But we do, um, and our goal is to get you up to 85%. So that's not just one more book phone call a day. That's two, three, four, five, six, seven. And when you get into those numbers where you're booking seven, eight, nine, ten more calls, more calls a day, you're looking at an extra million in revenue just with the calls that you're already coming in. So what, what that means is without spending extra diamond advertising, you can add a million dollars to your revenue by booking the calls that are coming to your office. I would dare say that it's the easiest way uh, to make more money. Why? Because you don't have to do anything except hire us. Oh, yes, so it's a little bit it. like it's a little bit like that film in uh, Bull Durham, Crash Davis, played by Kevin Costner. He said, "You know the difference between a 250 hitter and a 300 hitter?" He said, "One Texas leaguer, one little single up the middle every 10 at bats, just one." And that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, that's exactly it. So you have exactly. a book now. Tell us about that. How did? How did that happen? Well, there was uh, a guy, oh, it was about almost almost six years now. I was at an event, and uh, his name is Mark Madison. Yeah, I know that guy. Uh, he, yeah, he he saw me in a breakout, and he came up afterwards, and he said, you know, uh, your future your is so bright, it makes my eyes burn, and you need to write a book. And so I sat down. And started writing a book, and then I stopped and started start, you know, that thing. Now your first book is always the hardest. And then, uh, and then about five years later, I called Mark back up, and it's kind of interesting to talk to you as if you're the third person here. But yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't uh, it? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I, I, I called you back up, and I said, "Hey, Mark, remember me?" And you're like, "Yeah, of course, remember me. Yeah, of course, I remember you." And I said, "Hey, uh, you know that book you told me to write?" You're, yes, I, I remember. And I said, hey, do you mind writing the forward on this book? And, and, and of course you didn't. And, uh, and we've sold, this is our fourth print that we just ordered. Um, and we've, we've already gotten through 3,000 of them. So that's awesome. kind of where we're at. Well, it's the rock in your shoe, isn't it? I mean, that's what we do, right? We challenge people. <laughs> we dare them to get out of their comfort zone. And you did that. So in your opinion, because you're working with contractors all the time, what keeps contractors up at night? What has them tossing and turning? I would say one of the main things is uh, an employee. Contractors at events, they act really tough. They hear uh, scenarios where an employee is uh, hurting the organization and you know, they puff up their chest and they say, you know what, he's toast, he's gone. Or she's toast, she's gone. I'd fire that person in a New York second. And it's not true. They, they have big hearts. 
you know what's interesting about this is I can relate. I also have one of those hearts. And we have a tendency to let them linger. Now, in the backyard, you're going, okay, Brigham, what are you saying? Do you fire these guys? Do you figure out um, a way to get the gumption and, and fire these, these individuals? No, not necessarily. Um, giving them a different position, um, being upfront with them. Um, uh, so maybe, maybe they're cases. in the wrong seat on the bus. Maybe. Maybe, and 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 every organization I go to, and we are training uh, CSRs, dispatchers, lead coordinators. There is one that is there because the owner is simply not willing to move them anywhere, and I'll tell you why: because the history they have between them. There's family involved. There's a relationship involved. There's um, an outside circumstance that they're familiar with. And they just don't want to touch it. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm um, also guilty. But if you've got that person in the wrong seat, it costs you uh, potentially millions. I mean, there's one situation where um, there was a friend working with a friend, and it, um, they hired a new accounting company, and they found out that uh, that friend was embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars, and the owner didn't even want to know. Didn't even want to know. Don't tell me how much it was. Now that it's over, now that it's all said and done, don't even tell me how much it was. I'm glad you found it. I'm glad we fixed it, and we move on. Well, uh, and they don't press charges either, in my experience, because they're embarrassed. And the, and the perpetrators understand that, and they exploit people over and over and over again. They almost never get prosecuted. Because yeah. it's, it's embarrassing to admit that you let that happen on your watch. Yeah. And that's extreme. But there's those little things that you might think are not extreme. For example, say you have a CSR that's gruff on the phone with customers. Let's say that you, when you describe that CSR, you describe them as an acquired taste. What are you doing? <laughs> right. What are you doing? Yeah, he's a little different. You know, and yeah, what I'm hearing exactly. you say is you got to help him grow or let him go. You have to have yeah. the courage you know, to be able to step up and say, okay, I'm going to give you 90 days to change this thing. And if you don't change, we got to let you go. But you can't do that without giving them some tools to help them make, you know, make those changes. And that's what I'm hearing you say. And every employee does the same thing. Let me give you an example. The CSR and how they treat the technicians, the technicians and how they treat the CSRs. You have situations where the culture is bad. And CSR says, or the dispatcher says, hey, Mr. Technician, I don't care that you had a fishing trip planned. You, you're going to go out and you're going to do this. And you have a technician that uh, uh, is short with the CSR, doesn't answer questions, purposely doesn't answer phone calls, just to bugger, you know, stuff, stuff that happens. And you treat right. each other poorly. And, and what happens? Well, what happens is the customer loses. When a CSR realizes that their individual actions affect the company itself, you know, if you were to do the math there, it would be in the hundreds of thousands, if not in the millions. Uh, we have got to start treating everyone like a customer. If you're a CSR, your technician is a customer. Your boss is a customer. If you're the boss, guess what? Everyone's your customer. Your CSRs are the customer. Your technicians are the customer. Your homeowners, the homeowners that you work with, those guys are the customer. Everybody's a customer. And you want to treat them that way. And you want to go above and beyond for them. Everyone of them. That's one of the hard that's one of the hard things I learned as as I grew my businesses. And and in fact, I've had growing pains in the past because I it, it took me too long to learn that lesson. That my river kid, never rises any higher than its source, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I've also got, uh, you know, and we're kind of jumping around here. I hope you don't mind. But, but uh, I've got, uh, you know, you've, you've got old employees that uh, when they leave the company, they, they feel like they can do it on their own. And, you know, they can provide the same service you provide all by themselves. And they go and they do that. And then you chat with them a year later after you, you kind of get over the panic of it all, right? Oh, my gosh, he's going to take my business, but so on and so forth. 
But when you talk to those individuals and you see how they're trying to do it all by themselves, until a leader is able to get people to follow him, he can only go so much. Right. And, you know, and, and, and you don't worry as much. So let me get back to my initial point, which is, and your question was, is gosh, what's the, what's the thing that keeps them up at night? Well, the thing that keeps them up at night is uh, fear, fear of an employee that isn't doing so well. They don't want to fire them. Fear of um, uh, the competition uh, taking their business. Fear, fear, fear. And what they need to do is they need to realize that their worst enemy is the one that is looking back at them in the mirror. As the coach goes, so goes the team. Yes, it is on them. And it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. It doesn't matter what Amazon is doing. It doesn't matter what an old employee is doing. It doesn't matter what an, what an in-house employee is doing. Question is, is, what is the leader doing? What is the leader doing? I hired a, a coach. I paid him, uh, uh, what was it? $4,000 a month. I paid $4,000 a month to sit down with me on Mondays. And he made me turn off my phone. Um, made me turn off my phone and we just, uh, and we worked on everything I needed to work on. And he just kept asking me questions. Okay, Brigham, what do you want to accomplish? Well, I don't know. I want to accomplish this. I want to be the best call handling train company in, in the nation. Okay, cool. How are you going to do that? Well, that's why I'm paying you $4,000. He's no, really, why, why? What, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? And he just kept asking, how, 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 how? Until finally I came up with tangible plans and strategies and processes and procedures to get bigger. Only then did my company grow. There's an old expression, Brigham. When the rate of change on the outside is faster than the rate of change on the inside, the end is near. And that's yeah. what I'm hearing you say. As leaders, they have to lead the charge. They have to be willing to get out of their comfort zone, change, uh, attack those fears. You know, either the fear they're going to lose what they have or not get what they want. And it's a, it's yep. really a function of being courageous enough to look in the mirror and say, here's some things I need to change, either myself personally or the systems we have in place. Is that what you're saying? That's it. So what are you working on now? There's a little well, birdie told me that there's a new book in the works. Is that true? Yes, there is a new book in the works. And can you tell us anything about that? I'd love to. There, uh, the, the subtitle is going to be uh, the will to win moments. The will to win moments, and it's and it's kind of on the same premise of of when I realized, wow, I am my own worst enemy. It's not anybody else. It's not anything outside of my control. It's me. And if I can continue to focus on me and be the best leader I can be, my company is going to continue to grow. At least that's been my experience thus far. Um, and so I'm writing about that learning. And I feel that as I continue to focus on myself, uh, developing a will to win moments, um, I'll be able to help others win uh, moments too. So let me give you an example. Um, we're born into this world knowing two things in my mind. A, we got a, we got a body, right? We know that because it's here. It's self-eminent, right? It's, it's, it's there. We can see it. And uh, B, we have agency. We have the right to choose. Um, now, some have more choices than others, and some have more freedoms than others. They're born into more freedom than others. But we still have control over whatever freedoms those are and how we react to them. And so the next step is to find out what is right, what is true. And so we find out through time, uh, study, learning, uh, what is true and what is right. And we've been talk talking about some of those principles as we, go as, we, as we go along. But as we learn and uh, grow in, I'll call it truth, we also have tendencies. And those tendencies compete with what we know is true. Um, Can you give an example? Anything. Yeah, sure. Um, selfishness is a, is a tendency. We have a desire to take before we give. 
um, uh, without even realizing. And I gave an example early on in this call. It wasn't until I started giving training CSRs without pay, because that's what I did with Troy, is I trained them without pay. And I perfected my trade doing that. Now, most people, they'd say, oh, if you want me to do something, you have to pay me to do that. Well, hold on a minute here. How good are you at training CSRs? Right. You've never done it before. And you want me to pay you? No, you should pay me to give you the opportunity. I mean, I look back on my service back then, and I mean, compared to what it is today, I mean, it was a joke. It was a joke. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I, <clears throat> my German teacher in high school, Susan Hall. It was my favorite class, and I was getting an A in her class. And I was, uh, I came to school my junior year, first period German, drunk, right? It seemed like a good idea at the time. I didn't get the memo that you weren't <laughs> supposed to, you know, do that. And so I was kicked out of school. And it, to, to make matters worse, I was the leading scorer on the basketball team, so that was a problem. So fast forward seven years, I have a little chimney cleaning business, and Susan asked me to come speak to some kids at the high school. And I said, Susan, why would they care what I have to say? She said, well, you got in a lot of trouble when you were younger and you turned your life around. She said, you have a good story. You should tell it. I said, well, who are these kids? He said, well, they've all been in trouble for one reason or another. And it's a class full of troublemakers. I said, perfect. So I gave a speech and they liked it. My <laughs> phone rang and it was the basketball coach. And he said, hey, the point guard was in that class. He said, you should come talk to the team. I said, great. What do you want me to talk about? He said, whatever you want. I said, how about goal setting? He said, awesome. So I did and they liked it. And then my phone rings again. Shorecrest High School, a different school. This woman said, I understand you're an inspirational speaker. I said, really? Who told you that? She said, well, my <laughs> nephew, the same kid, Steve Alsat. So she said, we can't pay your normal fee. All we have is $250. And I thought, for how many days? You know, this was like 1987. So uh, I said, okay. Uh, so I cut up the phone. I said, honey, this woman wants to pay me 250 bucks to talk to some kids for an hour. And my wife said, take it. <laughs> and that was the beginning, right? And then afterwards, I thought, all right, if there's people actually doing this for a living, who are they? Where are they? How do I get a hold of them? And to your point, you know, if you do what you love, if you offer value, if you're committed to whatever it is you're doing, eventually somebody's going to pay you for it. And you went to work on your skills and your attitude and your knowledge and your habits. And you've been able to build a business as a result of, you know, essentially saying yes and and yeah. being other-centered, the opposite of self-centered. A CSR or a technician that waits to perform at their highest level until they are paid what they feel they deserve will never be paid what they feel they deserve. Right. That's selfishness. That's that tendency that I'm talking about. I will not work to my highest level because I'm not paid enough. Uh, right. you, you got the wrong mindset. That's a selfish, looking out for number one mindset. Let me give you one more example. Uh, you talk about uh, school, and it reminds me of when I was in the third grade. Third grade, terrible reader. Was not a good reader at all. And... Uh, they put me, they decided to put me in this class called resource. I don't know if you've ever heard of resource, but, uh, is that it, like recess? Cause I really like that I, class. You know what? I love recess and it was nothing like, in fact, it was the opposite. Okay. Terrible. So you go into this class and there's people that visually you can tell that there's something, you know, they're either missing a limb or, you know, they have um, uh, unusual movement and behavior. You can tell that, okay, what, what class am I in here? Well, there's this gal, her name was Susan. She was also in the class and she was like me. She seemed normal on the outside, right? You know, a third grade, how a third grader judges everything they see. And so I'm sitting there with Susan and I'm looking at her and I'm looking at me and I'm going, what are you doing in here? As they were helping us with our reading. Well, I hated that class. And so I went home and I told my mom, listen, please, please, don't make me go to resource. I'll do anything. She says, all right, sounds good. She, um, <laughs> now you're negotiating. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So she says, I've got a friend uh, who will uh, uh, work with you and read with you every day. And if you read with that person every day, you don't have to go to resource. Done. And so I'm reading every day with this person. And sure enough, my reading gets better. 
about three months later, I'm sitting in class and the teacher says, and I don't know why the teacher does this, but you know how they get to that point and they say, hey, let's have everybody take a turn reading in a book. Great. So everybody's going to have to show their reading ability. And those who don't read, you know what they're doing. They're reading ahead. They're making sure that they've pronounced every word correctly so they don't look like an idiot in front of their class. And so uh, my turn comes and I'm full of confidence and I rock it. I crush it. For the first time ever, I crush without a problem. Feeling really good about myself. In fact, I've got two guys sitting next to me, good buddies of mine right now. Because before, when I couldn't read, rest assured they weren't buddies. They're the ones that snickered at me when I couldn't read. But now they're my friends. And so they go through taking turns. And then there's this gal in front of me who takes a turn. And she's terrible. She's terrible. And I could relate to what happened to me just a few months earlier. And as soon as she was done, one of my new buddies piped up and said, boy, Susan, you stink at reading, as they laughed and snickered. And I can remember to this day, I'm 41 years old, Mark. I can remember to this day the way she looked back at me. The pain. I said nothing. And that's what hurts today. You know, the moral or the, uh, the emotional wounds that uh, I felt when I couldn't read, they were still pretty fresh for me. And it was selfish of me to let that target be on her, knowing how much it hurt. Right. You didn't stick up but, for her. That's right. Didn't stick up for her. Didn't stick up for her. Selfish. Selfish and self-centered. And that sort of tendency uh, are the types of things that I'm going to be focusing in on the book. We know what is true. We know what is right. But because of our tendencies, it, it's those types of things that keep us from doing what's right. And, so, and something you said earlier, you know, uh, give me more money and then I'll work harder. And that's not the way the world works. The world says work harder and then we'll give you more money. You know, show right. up early, stay late, have a great attitude. If you're a technician, generate leads from the field, you know, go the extra mile. And when you do that with a good attitude, you get more money. Yeah. And it's amazing how many people have that backwards. So let me ask you this. What would you want contractors to know? If you, if you were on your deathbed and you're 89 years old and you, you know, some parting wisdom in the rocking chair on the front porch, what would you tell contractors? <laughs> Well, Mark, my first inclination would be to uh, continue to learn from them because I have a great respect for anybody who gets into business for themselves. And it doesn't matter how old I am, uh, I, I continue to learn from my peers in this industry, and I'm grateful for it. But if I were to say something, you know, with my last dying breath, um, I would say that even though we are our own worst enemy, we can be our hero by doing what we already know. You and I already know what to do. Contractors who have a good head on their shoulders, they know what they should be doing. They just need to do it over and over again. So I would encourage them to put into practice what they know. Do what you know. Actually do what you know. And that's how you become the hero. Excellent. So let me ask you this. The voracious reader that you are, what books are you reading right now? Or over this last year, What? let me change the question. What book had the biggest impact on you this last year? Because I know you read a lot like I do. Well, there's a book that I like to read over and over again. It's one of those oldies, but a goodie. Seven Habits by Stephen R. Covey is awesome. Uh, it, it never gets old. It's been translated into several different languages. Um, that's absolutely one of my favorites. Um, Jeff Gittimer, Yes Attitude is always good. Uh, Little Red Book of Sales is good for Jeff. 
uh, I'd say that those are the ones that I constantly read and learn from and remember. Um, yeah, Jeff's an interesting guy. I shared the stage with him once, and he he had you know a thousand people in the audience, and it was a uh, it was a hearty meeting. And he said, "Anybody from Philadelphia?" And a guy raised his hand, and he gave him the finger. And I went, "What?" You know, it's like <laughs> he said, "I wanted to make you feel at home." You know, and <laughs> I, and I thought, man, I don't have enough courage to do that. Right? That's just that's moxie. You know. So he's no an interesting guy. Yeah. So who are your mentors? Well, there's Mark, and I'm not just saying that. There's uh, you're you're definitely in that group. Oh, I appreciate um, that. Uh, and I'll give you ten years to stop saying that. By the way. <laughs> well, when you first said your future is so bright, it makes my eyes burn. Uh, to me, it was this. I was uh, the only one you said that to. Uh, it really had an impact on me, um, and and I wanted I wanted to live up to those expectations. I knew that I was going to be seeing you regularly, and uh, so there was I, some I, accountability there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's that's amazing to me. You know, it's uh, I call that being a good finder. You know, you look for the good in people, then you say it out loud. And I do it I do it uh, in notes and emails and texts, but I also do it face-to-face. And I do it because someone did it for me. And someone that I really respected, you know, had, had a belief in me. And then, you know, it's the concept is called Pygmalion. It's based on a play by George Bernard Shaw, which was later made into a film in 1932. And then again in 64 with uh, My Fair Lady. And the concept is really simple. You know, you... Treat me as I am, I remain. Treat me as I can be, I become. And that faith that you have in other people, especially if you're in some position of authority, and a lot of contractors, you know, they own the company, right? And they don't, a lot of contractors don't understand the influence, the potential influence they have with the words that they use. And yeah. it's amazing when you trust and admire somebody, if they see the best in you and they affirm that out loud, they predict your future. It's extraordinary what happens. You unleash a, a tremendous amount of potential. So, well, let me ask you this. Do you have any questions for me? Because I'm, you know, I'm firing them all your way. Do you want to send any towards me? I think, uh, I think I do. But before we go there, I, I would like to uh, talk about one more other mentor, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Okay. That's why I so, asked. <laughs> so back in 2008, um, I was still learning and studying and so on and so forth. And there was an event at the uh, Jazz Center, Utah Jazz. And, you know, 20,000 seat arena. Yeah, I've been there. It's nice. People. Yeah. So anyway, um, Sig Ziglar is going to be there. Sig. And his daughter was going to accompany, accompany him on stage because he had lost his short-term memory. And he was like 88 or something at that point. Exactly. Yeah, he suffered a, a fall down the stairs and he lost his short-term memory. So basically she would prompt him. And so I sat there in that audience. And I saw him struggle onto that stage. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me what the heck he was doing there. Mm. I mean, he'd already made it. He, he, he did not need to be there. Right. And what was interesting, she would prompt, and he was quick as he always is, right? Right. You know, when he talks about he talks about his wife, who was there in the audience, the redhead, right? The redhead, yeah. Yes, and and he said, uh, you know, you know, she's like my American Express card. I never live home without her, right? Stuff like that. And then he shared, and she prompted him, and he shared why he got into the business. He said that he, when he was younger, saw a uh, Baptist preacher uh, encouraging people. And he 
realized in that moment that he too wanted to encourage people. And that right there is when I realized that I too wanted to encourage people. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do with my life. It's interesting how, you know, mentors can have that kind of impact on me. My mentor was Charlie Tremendous Jones and he and Zig were good friends. And Charlie used to say, you'll be the same person in five years, except for two things, books and people, people and books. And, you know, that simple little statement completely changed my life because I started hanging around different people. I started reading different books and I made a commitment to read two books a week. And I have for a long, long time. And, you know, somebody like Zig or somebody like Charlie with long after they never needed the money. They kept doing what they were doing because they realized they were making a difference. Charlie was 86 when he went on his last round the world tour. He had cancer. He had an eye patch. He, you know, it was unbelievable. And, and there he was. And I thought, that's it. That's, I'll be doing this till the day I die. And I got a sense that you will too. Yeah. <laughs> what drives you, Mark? When I get that email that says, I attended your sales class and I've closed eight, uh, eight out of the last 10 agreements, or, or you know, I've, I've been able to, based on what I heard at your seminar, I've been able to reconnect with my son and we have a relationship now. Or, you know, after I heard you speak and tell stories about your wife, I decided to stick it out and go to counseling and guess what, you know, we're still married. So it's that feedback. It's that knowing that you're making a difference in the world. And so, you know, I'm on a mission, you know, and, and it's to help people go from here to there, help them change their lives. And, you know, in 1979, I was homeless, carless, jobless, and penniless. Other than that, I was fine. And I met a woman who said, you know, I love you, but, you know, here's some things that, you know, are kind of in the way of us having a long-term relationship. So I went to work. I, I changed my behavior. I gave up the drinking and I gave up the drugs and I gave up all the, you know, that lifestyle and, and started going to church and started reading books and keeping a journal and, you know, abracadabra a few years later, you know, my life exploded into change. And that, uh, that simple question, you know, you know, I, I dare you to change. I dare you to get out of your comfort zone. I dare you to be the best person you can be. And, you know, this we have a unique opportunity to affect people's lives, whether it's a, a live presentation or through one of our books. You know, Freedom for Fear sold 100,000 copies now. It's crazy. And I, the newest book I'm just finishing up, I, just going to print here as we speak, is Freedom from Fat. And it's a book on wellness and nutrition. And it goes back to what you said. You know, I, I, I was 305 pounds and I had a 46-inch waist. And middle age is when you're broad-minded, narrow ways trade places, right? So it was five pounds a year for 10 years, and all of a sudden I was fat guy in a little coat. <laughs> and I just decided, I made a decision one day. I said, I'm going to lose 50 pounds or 10 inches off my waist. And after I did it, uh, I thought, all right, there's probably about five or six million guys who need to, you know, understand how to do what I just did. So I sat down, and like you, I just started writing. And I wanted to write something I knew would make a difference in people's lives. And I just turned 60 last weekend and you know, I'm in the best shape of my life. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't say that to brag or be self-aggrandizing. I just say it because I was fat guy in a little coat and now I'm not. And if I can do it, you can do it. And I think that's part of what drives guys like you and me is that, is that notion that if I can do it, you can do it. And I think when you, when you present that, when you, when you're able to take a topic and master it and, and really affect those changes, I think you have a responsibility to, you don't get to keep this unless you give a part of that away. And so, you know, that, I think that's what drives us. Brigham, I'm going to make a prediction. You're going to write 10 or 15 books. And, and the reason is you have a lot to offer. Your well is deep. And, you know, I know you know this. Halfway through the next book, you'll get an idea for the one after that. And, and, and we have this responsibility once, you know, once you know how to do that, that being writing a book, you have a responsibility to step back and ask the same question you asked, you know, before, find a need and fill it. What does the marketplace want that, that isn't being, you know, delivered 
right? And when you find that, whatever that is, you have a responsibility to write about it and then teach it. So we have the greatest job in the world, you know? I'm self-employed. When I call in sick, I know I'm lying. I'm the worst boss I ever had. <laughs> but at the same time, at any moment, I can decide to give myself a raise by working more effectively, by working smarter, not harder, by making, you know, two more phone calls or whatever it is. Because I think we have a responsibility to uh, to help people grow. And I think you're doing that in a unique way. The last time I saw you present, I was just blown away because you dramatically changed your game. You'd gone up, you know, a couple of levels. And I thought, wow, the passion is there, the enthusiasm is there, the content's there. This is so great. And so to be able to, as the old guy, you know, I, I feel really blessed to be able to, to, to see that and, uh, and be able to say, you know, I know that guy. I remember when he first started. And now look at you. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, here's what's cool. You said it yourself. You've never been healthier at 60. What does that mean? What that means is, is that it's never too late. It's never past your time. Right. You know, I, I competed in a Spartan race the other day. I took first in my age group. <laughs> I was talking, yeah, I was talking with, uh, I'm 41 years old. I was talking to a 31 year old. And he's like, man, I wish I could be in shape like you. He's 10 years younger than I am. Right. 10 years younger. Yeah. It is all in your head. It is all in your head. I got an email, I got an email uh, a couple weeks ago asking me the same question I asked you. What drives you? As if there's something special. There's nothing special here. Nothing. I, in fact, I, if we got right down to it, I'd say that uh, I could be the weakest in, in some ways. What it means is, and I'm not trying to deface myself. What I'm saying is, is we can all, if I can do it, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Whether, whether it's physical, whether it's uh, business success, whether it's uh, personal success, it, it's, it's doable. We just need well, to. Well, I think you it. just come up with the title for your third book, What Drives You. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fantastic idea, the fantastic concept. So, so let me ask this, because I know we're running out of time here, and, and I, I want to make sure we cover all our bases before we sign off. And, and let me just say, Brigham, thank you so much. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, uh, we appreciate the opportunity for you to share some of your insights. I think uh, it would be, uh, in, in my opinion, if I'm a contractor and I want to improve, dramatically improve uh, my conversion rates, you're the first guy I would think to call. So uh, I've seen what you do. I've been I've been uh, fortunate enough to work with the same con some of the same contractors you have, and I I've gotten tremendous feedback from them. So. I know what you're doing is making a difference in a lot of people's lives. So I'm, thank you. I count myself fortunate to call you my friend. And now a word from our sponsor, Lucas. Thanks, Mark. Uh, since we have Brigham on, I just wanted to mention that you can visit egia.org slash university for a deeper dive into customer service and dispatching, uh, which is one of the 10 core areas of curriculum for EGIA Contractor University. EGIA Plus and Premium members have access to a plethora of introductory online courses and more rigorous and intensive online training resources focused on customer service and nine other subjects key to contractors. Uh, Brigham Dickinson himself has actually worked on a lot of our customer training customer service uh, training resources. They can take you from layman to expert in no time at all with progress quizzes along the way to ensure your full comprehension of every vital concept before moving on to the next segment. It's the most proven, effective, and affordable way to successfully scale your business. Um, and you can learn more at egia.org slash university. Thanks, Mark. You bet. Thank you, Lucas. So uh, parting thoughts. Wow. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground. It's been only yeah, we an have. hour. Uh, I, think, I think we've covered our, our, our uh, listen, let's, let's summarize. Uh, key to your success has been reading two books a week. Now, I realize that when you hear reading two books a week, that makes you, that, that can make somebody nervous. 
read a book and then read another one and then and then just learn learn as much as you can i mean there's right. this amazing thing called called audible.com you could be in your car you can listen you could be running and you can listen you can multitask an amazing thing while you're exercising your body you can exercise your mind yep you can do it it's never been easier to learn today never been easier if you believe and i and i hope you do if you believe that you are your worst enemy if you're losing sleep at night it's you that you should be worried about and go to work learn strengthen your body strengthen your mind strengthen your spirit the best leaders in my mind are the best followers mark told me five years ago your future's so bright it makes my eyes burn i didn't want to disappoint him certainly there's something in your life that you don't want to disappoint think about that person and be a good follower because the best followers are the best leaders yeah amen brother well thank you so much for your time brigham and uh you know and i'll, and I'll close with this little this last little piece here uh, a number of years ago, I heard the story from Earl Nightingale, and it really had an impact on me. This uh, five-year-old boy was watching the Super Bowl with his dad, and he was being as five-year-olds are, you know, annoying, asking lots of questions, and the dad was trying to watch the game. But being the good father that he was, rather than admonish his son, he decided to uh, give him a project. So he looked around, and he found a, a magazine with a, with a map of the world. And so he cut it into a hundred pieces and gave his son some scotch tape and said, show daddy how smart you are. Go put that together, figuring that would keep him busy for a couple of quarters and he could watch the game in peace. And about 20 minutes later, a little boy comes back and it's all taped together. It's not very neat, but everything's where it's supposed to be. And he said, that's amazing, son. He said, how did you do that? And the little boy said, there was a man on the other side. When I put the man together, the world was all together. And I think we have a responsibility, as you said, to make sure that we're putting ourselves together first. And when we do that, everything else takes care of itself. Well, that'll do it for today's episode. As always, visit egia.org podcast slash podcast uh, to find this episode and an archive of previous episodes. The online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment and links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and the Google Play app and a link to the latest EGIA snapshot survey. For more information about EGI membership, visit www.egia.org slash join. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. I'll see you next time. <laughs>